Alrighty, fellas, welcome back to the Nasimta Lebanon Soto podcast. How are you all going? I'm sorry that it took me uh, so long to upload another episode. It's been about two months now, and that's even including me uploading that interview with Christian Butch, which, by the way, I was uh, super stoked to see was well-received. So cheers for downloading it and uh, giving me your feedback. It it, uh, it was really, really cool, cool to see. This episode, I'm going to try and flesh out this allegory or metaphor, or I'm not sure what it is, that I've used in podcasts many times, and that's referring to uh, complexity and mapping out the neurons of a brain of a worm. It's something that I've probably tripped over many times on recording different podcasts, but on this one, I'm going to try and uh, flesh it out properly to do it actual justice, because although the metaphor itself is not that complicated, it gets into this thing called scientism, which Friedrich Hayek uh, wrote about back in the day whenever he was writing um that i'm going to also try and turn into a full podcast in its own right but that's something that i'm finding a little bit harder to write concisely about nassim taleb leans on hayek scientism a lot um his intellectual yet idiot iyi uh phenomenon is well it's not a phenomenon but that <laughs> idea of uh of of nassim's is repurposing Hayek's scientism largely you know his criticism of Steven Pinker comes from Pinker using in brackets scientism and so forth but you're going to see why it leans into that a little bit but let's just crack right into complexity in the brain of a worm um the difference between understanding the components of something versus how that same thing works is everything so the difference between understanding the components of something, but then understanding how that same thing then behaves is really everything. And that's the that's the central message of, of this uh, brain of a worm uh, anecdote. Now, it's clearly not universal rule. You should always make this sort of caveat. But by understanding the components of a bike and how they interact with each other, we can confidently and then understand how the bike works. I know that cycling the pedals pulls the chain, then turns the wheel. Everything else around that core functioning is just aesthetic or qualitative detail. But by mapping out all the organic components of a human body, right? So let's use the what the chain is to the bike, what the uh, wheels are to the bike, what the pedals are to the bike. You know, it's the organs to the human body, the bones to the human body, and really everything else in between. If you make the direct comparison, does our understanding then of each component inform us confidently how the body then works and behaves. In the case of the human body, I'm not sure. Taleb argues not. And although that I'm, I'm sure that much of the medical community might disagree, I will try and explain through this podcast the relationship between complexity and then each additional variable that's added to the cohort. So it's a question of complexity. Understanding the different components of a bike to then make an inference of how the bike works is a lot simpler than understanding all the different components that go into a human body and then making an inference that because we know how the body is made up, we then know how it's going to behave and work. It's a question of understanding all the different variables that are at play. And that's ultimately what metaphor for the worm is. If we know that the brain of a worm has, or the sea worm or whatever it's called, has 300 neurons, and we still don't know how it works, how are we supposed to make the inference that we understand how the human brain works when it has billions and billions of neurons, when each additional neuron added could do as much as double the complexity. So these are Nassim Taleb's words. There are qualitative differences between a group of 10 and a group of, say, 395,000. Each is a different animal, in the literal sense, as different as a book is from an office building. When we focus on commonalities, we get confused. But at a certain scale, things become different, mathematically different. The higher the dimension, in other words, the number of possible interactions, the more difficult to understand the macro from the micro, the general 
from the units. And then back to me. I think here is the distinction between measuring the relationship between variables and complexity that themselves can exhibit a wide, a wide range of behavior. A chain has less functional uses than does, say, a human being. So I'm doubling down on that um, comparison between knowing the components of a bike and then inferring that we know how the bike works versus knowing the components of a human then then understanding how the human behaves. There is just way more variables, way more components at play with the human being. And as Taleb just, as, and, and as Taleb just said, the higher the dimension, the higher the number of possible interactions, the more difficult to understand the macro from the micro. Back to Taleb. Or, in spite of the huge excitement about our ability to see into the brain using the so-called field of neuroscience, understanding how the subparts of the brain, he's referring to neurons, work, will never allow us to understand how the brain works. And now back to me. I'm less quick to <laughs> call neuroscience a, a pseudoscientific field, as Taleb is inferring there. But nonetheless, I think what he's trying to say is, is that, just, is that just because we can map out the human brain does not then mean we understand how the human brain works. Understanding each component of a group will not necessarily shed light on then how the whole group might behave. And so back to Taleb, we have no fucking idea how the brain of a worm C. elegans works. There is, that's the name of the worm. <laughs> Let's just call it a basic worm which has around 300 neurons. This basic worm was the first living unit to have its gene sequenced. Now consider the human brain has about 100 billion neurons. And so that going from 300 to 301 neurons may double the complexity. In brackets, Taleb has written here, I have actually found situations where a single additional dimension may more than double some aspect of the complexity. Say going from 1000 to 1001 may cause complexity to be, to, to be multiplied by a billion times. Close bracket. So the use of never here is appropriate. And if you also want to understand why, in spite of all the trumpeted advances in sequencing the DNA, we are largely unable to get information except in small isolated pockets of some diseases. Understanding the genetic makeup of a unit will never allow us to understand the behavior of the unit itself. I'm going to say that last sentence again because that is the entire crux of what I'm trying to uh, fumble through here and explain. Understanding the genetic makeup of a unit will never allow us to understand the behavior of the unit itself. Okay, back to me. So if we have no idea how the brain of a worm works, which has 300 neurons, how on earth can we claim to have any actionable insight into how the human brain works? When complexity can feasibly double, or even as Taleb says, in some cases, 100, 200, 1 million X with each additional node. And that type of scale is truly incomprehensible and could be barely understood by technicians. It's like the difference between an atom and a kilometer. We can acknowledge that it's a massive difference, but for us to appreciate the difference is another thing entirely. And so if we cannot answer what the complexity of 300 neurons entails, what do we do about billions that has compounded on itself billions of times? I'm reminded of this company, ASML, a company I recently did a business profile on who are printing billions of lines onto a microchip the size of a fingernail. It's a scale of accuracy that can only be appreciated by the technicians involved. And to the rest of us, we're just left thinking, holy hell, science is pretty, pretty bloody cool, isn't it? We're talking about how complexity scales and ultimately the insight being that our attempts to make sense of a future prediction that is based within a realm of 
unappreciated complexity is bound to failure. There will be second, third, fourth order consequences that you couldn't predict because your prediction was not sophisticated to take into account the complexity. You may have understood what the system was made up of, but that did not give you an insight into knowing how the system was going to behave. I'm not a scientist or a technician or any of the sort, and so I'm very ready to be wrong about my interpretation of the basic worm anecdote by Taleb, but I think about Elon Musk's Neuralink, which is, as an aside, I think Elon is just probably the most amazing guy out there. You should check out Ashley Vance's biography on him. But his project Neuralink, which proposes to export brain activity into legible commands in a computer, seems next to impossible if you appreciate the inference Taleb is making here. The human brain might feasibly be mapped and then all its components understood by themselves. But to go a step further and then try and create its functionality, which means to understand its behavior, so you can create an API connection to export data, is at the moment, an impossible feat. And as Taleb said, sometimes never is appropriate. That's synonymous with here, impossible might be appropriate with currently what we know. But back to Taleb. A reminder that what I am writing here isn't an opinion. It's a straightforward mathematical property. I cannot resist this. Much of the local research in experimental biology, in spite of its seemingly scientific and evidentiary nature, fail a simple test of mathematical rigor. This means we need to be careful of what conclusions we can and cannot make about what we see, no matter how locally robust it seems. It is impossible, because of the curse of dimensionality, to produce information about a complex system from the reduction of conventional experimental methods in science. Back to me. This echoes my opening point. The difference is everything. The difference between understanding how a thing is made and then understanding how a thing behaves. The difference in the middle is everything. Back to Taleb. My colleague, Bayam, who, by the way, featured on, um, in my opinion, Australia's best podcast, The Jolly Swagman, quickly followed by Hello Sport, has applied, back to Taleb, has applied the failure of mean field to evolutionary theory of the selfish gene narrative trumpeted by such aggressive journalists as Richard Dawkins, Stephen Pinker, and other naive celebrities who, with more mastery of English than probability theory, he shows that local properties fail for simple geographical reasons. Hence, if there is such a thing as a selfish gene, it may not be the one that we are talking about. We have addressed the flaws of selfishness of a gene as shown mathematically by Novak and his colleagues. Hayek, who had a deep understanding of the properties of complex systems, promoted the idea of scientism to debunk statements that are nonsense dressed up as science, used by its practitioners to get power, money, friends, decorations, invitations to dinner with Norwegian Minister of Culture, use of VIP transit lounge at Kazan Airport, and similar perks. Very quintessential Talebian writing there. It is easier to take a faker seriously, since science doesn't look neat and cosmetically appealing. So with the growth of science, we will see a rise of scientism. And my general heuristics are as follows. 1. Look for the presence of simple non-linearity, hence Jensen's inequality. If there is such non-linearity, then call Yanir Bayam at New England Complex Systems Institute for a friendly conversation about the solidity of the results. 2. If the paper writers use anything that remotely looks like a regression and p-values ignore the quantitative results. And back to me. So, and so Taleb's anecdote of the basic worm is not take the mapping of a system as, as, as an insight into understanding the behavior of that system. It draws a clear line towards Taleb's rallying cry against scientism. If each additional node at least doubles the complexity, then it starts to become more clear why smaller groups are easier to understand than larger groups, from behavior to beliefs. 
When you introduce employee 10 to your company, all the potential behavior and variables are manageable. But when you introduce employee 1000, too much complexity in an overall group behavior must be tampered down by soul-destroying bureaucracy, which for long-time listeners will know I have lamented against before. But anyway, that's all for this episode. Um, I, I, I hope that made sense. Uh, and if nothing else, Taleb really makes you think, doesn't he? Uh, the Medium article that I quoted from here is linked in the description. And finally, before you all run off, please allow me to deliver a broad message to you all. This podcast gets about an additional 50 to 100 downloads per day, which didn't mean a lot for a long time and until now where it's starting to really mean something. I want to make sure that your time is not wasted listening to this podcast because I truly am so thrilled that you have decided to devote the time to it. Taleb's an extremely influential person on my thinking, likely yours too, since you're tuning in. But there is more to life than Taleb. I'm making the assumption that you and I have much more in common than this common variable. This niche here, upon which we have found ourselves, is an indication of like minds. With that being said, please subscribe to my primary focus of attention. It is a podcast called A Curious Worldview. And forgive me, maybe it's not the best name, but that's at least what it's called for now. The link is in the description and there your interest will be served well beyond the realm of randomness, chance and taleb. Here's a, here's a flavor of what you can expect over there. I'm currently finishing off a three-part series with Stephen Hicks on the life of Friedrich Nietzsche. I have the two gurus of financial secrecy and the cancer of tax havens who have appeared on the podcast, Nicholas Shaxon and Jim Henry. And also John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman is incoming as well. I have, as, in addition to this, the definitive biographer of Genghis Khan, Jack Weatherford who was one of the early guests on the podcast. Tim Marshall, author of Power of Geography and Prisoners of Geography, has a feature on the podcast. James Robinson, author of Why Nations Fail, plus so many more guests that are upcoming and that have already been that I am so thrilled and excited to share with you all. So we're here together now on this podcast feed, but join me over there on the Curious Wealthy podcast feed as well. And I'd love to know that you came there from here. So leave a review on the Curious Worldview podcast saying that you came from the Nassim Taleb and Inserto podcast. That would be the coolest thing ever because it just ticks every single box. So thank you if you listened all the way to the end right now. You're a bunch of legends. Take it easy. Ciao.